You're listening to the Redeemer London podcast. For more information, visit our website at redeemerlondon.org. Great, thank you so much. I'd just like to say before I start, uh, a huge thank you really to Megan and Yvette. I think your contributions really stirred us this morning. I know it's those two ladies today, but I think often people hear from God and they come and they share on a Sunday. I think, you know, Megan, wow, what boldness at an airport to walk up someone and let a stranger smell you, let alone pray for them. I mean, I think it's remarkable, isn't it? And I think, yeah, this stirring about we don't want to be stuck in a groove, do we? We want to be on an adventure with him. I feel God's spoken to us so much already about it. I believe that the church is an adventure. I believe that if you get a hold of your Bible and you open it in the book of Acts, so in the New Testament you get Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, it's four accounts of the life of Jesus. You suddenly get one of them, which is Luke, who then writes the follow-on, which is the book of Acts. And just think about the adventure that there is in Acts. The disciples have just been given this great commission, take the good news to the ends of the earth. And so what God suddenly says is, actually, here is supernatural power. The Holy Spirit is available to you, and this will make a difference in the way that you're going to go. A radical, authentic community is established. They do life together day after day. The group rapidly grows. 3,000 are added in one day, and many thereafter. Now, it's not all plain sailing. The Bible is very honest about that. We know that opposition arises. We know that people are literally thrown into prison and killed for what they believe. But the disciples are on the move and they're establishing radical communities everywhere and church planting has begun. I just think, man, this is exciting, isn't it? Obviously, you, you tend to preach from where you are in life. And I'm in my 40s, which means I've hit midlife crisis. Last year, I did a parachute jump. Why? Just because I'm a middle-aged man and I've got to do something, you know, just to check I've still got a pulse. The reality is I'm suddenly up in a plane at 11,000 feet, the door is open and someone's literally kicking you out and you're thinking, is this such a good idea? But me being the kind of guy I am, I thought I didn't want to be strapped to another person, I really wanted to be able to do it on my own. And it wasn't until I got there on the day that I realised it was a free fall. So the first 6,000 feet, the parachute doesn't open. So you fall at 1,000 feet in five seconds, and you're sort of holding it like this. Thing. Is this a good idea? Is this a good idea? Bang! Why? Because there's almost inside of me this thing of, oh, I'd love some adventure. Now, some of you might think, hey, there's no way I'm jumping out of a plane. But in some respect, I think if you're part of a church, you're part of that kind of adventure. And uh, this morning, how do I say it nicely? I've got my boots on and I want to kick you out the door. I want to say, come on, let's fly. Sandy Miller, he used to be the vicar at Holy Trinity Brompton. He says this, the only effective way to grow churches quickly is to plant churches. Now, if I'd have been Nicky Gumbel, I'd have said, hang on, Sandy, couldn't we have said the only way to effectively grow it is to do Alpha. But Sandy Miller is saying what I'm really committed to is planting churches. Tim Keller, he's a pastor and theologian. 
leads a church called Redeemer in New York. He says, a vigorous and continuous approach to church planting is the only way to guarantee an increase in the number of believers. And it's one of the best ways to renew the whole body of Christ. I think this is an adventure. This is the adventure that Redeemer's been on. I've got a picture here of one of our first ever events. There you go. We've got a picnic coming up in two weeks' time. As a church, uh, we started, uh, we launched in uh, January 2013, but the year before that, we just started gathering as a group. We did a small group in my home for a term. That was from January through to Easter, and then from Easter through to the summer, we just decided to eat together every other Sunday. And then from the September through to the December, we met downstairs, but we never told anyone we were here. And then it was January 13 that the church launched, and I would say... What a privilege this has been as a church plant. We've done meetups, we've done marriage training, we've done money training, we do alpha, we've done craftenoons, we've done comedy nights, we've done bake-off, we've done carols, we're involved in supporting CAP locally in Beeson and the winter night shelter. In fact, I've just spent three days in Falmouth. Yeah, I'd planned it, I thought I'm going to be somewhere sunny with a beach in June. It rained the whole time I was there. But I wasn't actually there for the beach because I went to a church last year in Truro that are now just planting into Falmouth. And we thought, I actually run a course called a church planting course. It lasts for two years. There's six modules. Anyway, one of our modules we thought, let's do in Falmouth. So we were down there for three days training just to say, wow, how could we get behind this? There's just such a sense of excitement. I love that, don't you? The thing is, though, with Acts, the excitement doesn't stop with church planting. I believe that's just the beginning. In fact, if you look in Acts 14, and the scripture will come up here, Acts 14, verse 21 to 23, they preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they put their trust. I love this, don't you? It's just this adventure, but oh, pray. Father, we pray you'd speak to us this morning. We thank you for the adventure that we have been on, that we are on. We thank you we're part of the church and the gospel going to the ends of the earth. We thank you, Jesus, that you kicked us off with that great commission and you will come back one day and every knee will bow before you. Lord, we recognize our need of you. Lord, as a church, we come and say, speak to us. Father, we pray you continue to touch us as you've so graciously done this morning already. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You see, Paul realized that it's one thing to start a church, and it's then really important to go back and strengthen the church and to appoint elders in them. In fact, he wrote a letter to a young man, a young man called Titus. Titus was actually struggling with a bunch of believers. He'd been left there, and he thought, golly, they're just not coming through. And Paul writes in Titus 1, The reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. You see, so what I think is there's this excitement of how do we see churches established, 
But actually, that's more than just planting them. That's seeing them flourish and grow. What we really want to see is a good, solid foundation for a lasting future. The formal establishing of the church means local autonomous units that connect together to engage in mission. And I'm going to suggest this morning that one important step of doing that is the appointing of elders. Elders. It's not a word we necessarily talk about now, is it? The first time it was mentioned, because I knew you'd ask me, was in Antioch. In Acts 11, it says in verse 29 and 30, the disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. They did this, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. And so, you know, there's not a whole load of detail about how this comes about, but they recognize that there are elders here, and it's great to be able to trust them with the money. Yet, now we're all listening, aren't we? Elders have got their hands on the money. No, I'm not going there. But I do think that actually wherever you then look through Acts, you see that elders lead congregations. You can check it up at home in Acts 14, in Acts 15, in Acts 16, in Acts 20. In Acts 21, there's this establishing on mission, churches and then elders are appointed. In fact, it's not just Acts that talks about this. In the rest of the New Testament, they're referred to on numerous occasions. Paul, when he writes to the church in Philippi, addresses the elders. There's lists of elders' characteristics in 1 Timothy, in Titus, and in 1 Peter. John himself refers to himself as an elder in his letters in 2 and 3 John. The book of James and the Hebrews refers to elders, and they are peppered throughout the book of Revelation. Why the name elders? Well, we don't totally know that. So what I'm going to say is a good suggestion. And let's just see exactly where we go. What we do know is the word elder was used over 100 times throughout the Old Testament. So throughout the Old Testament, it was a common word used. You had elders of Israel, the nation. And you can read about that in Exodus 3, 16. Go assemble the elders of Israel. That's what God says to Moses. You had elders of tribes. It says in Deuteronomy 31, assemble before me all the elders of your tribes and your officials. And you even had in the Old Testament elders of cities. <laughs> if, but if out of hate someone lies in wait, assaults and kills a neighbor, then flee to one of these cities, the killer should be sent for by the town elders. Obviously, they administered justice. But what I found fascinating, and I've read at least three books for this sermon, is that the most frequently used Bible phrase for those who lead the church is elder. If you'd have asked me that before I'd done my preparation, I would have said pastor. But being biblical, that's what it says. So what are elders like? What do we know about them? Well, Paul, when he wrote to Titus and said, look, I want you to go and appoint them, he then followed up with a description. And I'm going to read that now. It's Titus 1 and 6 to 9. An elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer, it's another term they keep intermingling for elders, manages God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not 
quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. And so what Paul is saying is actually what I'd really like you to do, Titus, is I want you to get a hold of the church. And It's been a great start, but let's see it push on. We'd like to establish elders, and this is what we'd love them to be like. It's quite a challenging list. What are they to be? Blameless. That's not perfect. That means unaccused. It means there's no moral or spiritual accusations against them. Faithful to their wife. Faithful and true to one woman rather than, I would say, tackling whether or not they're remarried or polygamy. And again, I know that I would throw out some questions and you want to question me after it that is fine i haven't got time to go into all of it but that's how i understand that bit children that believe and are not open to a charge i don't think that it means that children all have to be christians because that is a work of god's grace but i think elders you are looking for those that have faithful children that actually are not wild and disobedient Then, having said what you are to be, it says what you're not to be. Not to be overbearing. That's the opposite of gentle. Overbearing means you want your own way. It means you're not going to be a good team player. Not quick-tempered. Well, we know that God is slow to anger, and so therefore we must be patient. Not given to drunkenness. This is above reproach in relation to alcohol. Not violent. That means they're not a fighter. Not someone that wants to attack others. Not pursuing dishonest gain. That means that there's someone that's free from the love of money. And then he goes on with his other list. You are to be hospitable. They often say the, ho- the sign of an open home is the sign of an open heart. They're one who loves what is good. They want to seek to help others, even if that means denying of themselves. They're those that are to be self-controlled. They say that if you're disciplined physically, it's a sign of how you're doing spiritually. Those that are to be upright, just, fear, and make right decisions. Those that are holy, holy means set apart for God. Those that are disciplined, firmly committed to go, to God, sorry, and his word. Hold firmly to the message to encourage others. Now, I know that this could be a whole sermon in itself just on on Titus. I'm trying to go through loads of stuff because I just want to challenge us as a church. How do we, on this adventure, make sure we're ready for the next part? A couple of comments I'd like to make. I think elders... Oh, there you go. I've already made it. It's elders. I think it's something plural. The reality is that I think whenever you see in Scripture about elder, it's elders... You see, the church is not to be led by one person. I have the privilege of being the paid pastor of this church, and I consider that a huge privilege. I honestly do. Uh, I mean, those that come here regularly know that I try and stand on the door at the end, and if possible, I'd love to touch every single one of you. Partly that's my love language, you know what I'm saying? Great to have you here. Love to have you here. You are really welcome. I was doing it in the thing. I was trying to think, how many people could I connect to? And you can't move because I'm talking. So I could go around now and do it. 
Hey, Tim, we're going deep. <laughs> hey, if I start here, I'm never going to get away. I know that. But I think I love that because that's the, the real privilege. But actually, I do believe church leadership should be plural. I think it's something of a team. Now, I know that when elders were appointed in Jerusalem, it was large. And so, therefore, you say there's a team there. But I think, actually, every place, it says the Cretan churches, the Ephesian churches, James's letter, Alexander Stretch. This was a guy who read his book. Helpful book, challenging. Church leadership is a team effort, not the sole responsibility of one professional religious leader. I love that. I believe God is team. I mean, uh, golly, we could do a whole morning on Trinity, couldn't we? The reality is God is not about power. God is about love because he existed in a team before even created. That's the beauty of it, isn't it? And I think we reflect that. Wayne Grudem, he's written a book, Systematic Theology, says this, a survey of the relevant texts show there is a consistent pattern of plural elders as the main governing group in New Testament churches. I love the fact that it's plural. It's not one. I think that team brings breadth. There's a breadth of gifting in a team. I think team helps with mission. I have to be very careful here because I know people have experienced lots of different churches in the past. I think the danger is that we're led by one pastor. It can be inward. But actually, our mission is to be upward, onward, and outward. And I think team helps us. I believe that elders are vital for churches. I believe that elders are the group of men from within the body of saints appointed by the Holy Spirit and recognized by the congregation to lead, feed, and care for the church. I believe that they set the shape, pace, and direction of the church. They guard, guide, and govern the church. P.J. Smythe, who leads Advance, I think I've often said we're a part of a family called Advances. You can't have strong churches without strong elders. Elders set the tone for everything that happens in a local church. Bored, lethargic elders produce bored, lethargic churches. Passionate, vibrant elders produce passionate, vibrant churches. God has already spoken to us this morning. Come on, get out the rut. I've often said this. The only difference between a rut and a grave is the depth. If you realize as a Christian you've got stuck in a rut, hear that word this morning from a vet. Come on. Time to go again. So what do elders do? What do elders do? As you can sense, I'm trying to teach through on this this morning. We've never spoken about this before as a church, but I believe it's an exciting part of our adventure. 1 Peter 5, verse 1 and 4. I'll read this passage to you. There are many passages you could be looking them up at home. I encourage you to do that when you get home. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. So much packed in there, isn't there? And in some respects, I think I should just stop talking and read Scripture again. We honestly believe that Scripture is helpful, don't we? If I go back to the analogy of jumping out of an aeroplane, you could say it was true freedom. 
It was only freedom because I was strapped to a parachute. I think sometimes we think true freedom is just kicking out the word of God and doing whatever we like. What I love as Christians is we can know freedom because we are strapped to his word. What does his word say? He says, shepherds that care. That means they, they guide, they guard. They're about doctrine. I have to be very careful because I've just told you where I've been this week. So if you remember that, please forget it right now. Because when I'm just chatting to the people that are about to plant a church, tears start flowing as they realize how hard it is. And what you often realize is that when you step out the boat and do an adventure, there's an enemy. And we don't often talk about this because we always say, oh, God is able, and he is. But there's still a challenge often that we're in a battle. I read this week that in, in the natural, sheep, when they get afraid, they freeze. Well, you're, you're not going to get away from danger like that, are you? And that's so often why they're easy to be caught. And actually, there's a picture that we need those shepherds that will help and protect. In fact, the Bible uses this picture in the Old Testament. In Ezekiel 34, I don't think this one's up there. Thank you, Luca. It just says, the word of the Lord came to me. This was a prophet. God spoke to the prophet and he said this, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? And so there's this whole thing, a picture, that actually shepherds are those that care for the flock. David himself was a shepherd boy. He demonstrated courage in defending the sheep. I think in that passage in Peter, what else do you see about shepherds? I see those that are watching and willing. Those that govern and those that are about direction. Sheep are born followers. And my grandfather used to be a, my grandfather used to be a farmer. Lived in the countryside. He, he also loved gardening. Well, uh, he's fairly um, traditional in terms of he didn't do any work on the Sabbath. But one Sunday, this sheep found a way through his hedge and got into his garden. And what happened is, obviously, when one came, another one came, and another one came, and another one came. He ended up with a whole flock in his garden. Because my grandfather wouldn't work on the Sabbath, they stayed there all day Sunday and ate absolutely everything. I remember he had nothing in his garden for a whole year. He said, but what I learned is this sheep follow Pete. I said, well, yeah, I'd have, I'd have moved them out, but there we go. I guess it just made me think, it's so easy. Sheep just follow one another. That's why they need a shepherd. We always think in this country of a shepherd that goes at the back, you know what I'm saying, just tapping them along. Nowadays, they're on quad bikes, but when I was a boy, you know, they used to do that sort of sheepdog trials when people did it with animals. But actually, in biblical times, the shepherd went out the front. In fact, they even reckon in Bible times, don't they, that you could end up with three or four flocks of sheep all together at one night. And in the morning, how did you separate them? The shepherd started walking and called their names, and the sheep followed. And so that's much more the picture here. Jesus said to Peter, didn't he, feed my sheep? I think the, sh the shepherds, the elders, are those that are eager to serve. 
It says elsewhere in the gospel, not those that are hired, but those that lay down their life. They're to be an example, to guide, to disciple, not just talk a good game, but live it. Derek Tidball, he was the London Bible College professor here. He said, to be a shepherd is a subtle blend of authority and care, as much toughness as tenderness, as much courage as comfort. I love that. That's almost the challenge of how could we see that established here. Alexander, who I quoted earlier, he's the only one who gets in twice. I did find it a very helpful book. Ultimately, a man becomes an elder because God's spirit has created within him a burden for the local flock and a compulsion and love for the Lord's people. We don't appoint elders to manage. They're appointed to love. And I think our danger is we can think of them as those that love What else would I love to raise out of this passage? I'd love to say this. Jesus is the chief shepherd. They say, don't they, that every good leader was once a good follower. I would say every good leader must continue to be a good follower. The whole reality is, this is God's church. Jesus built his church, and even appointing elders, the church doesn't belong to the elders, it belongs to God. We must totally remember that. In John 10, 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And, and so fundamentally, if I had to think about any of this, I think, oh, Jesus, it is all about you. Yes. And I still want that to be our prayer for this church. It's all about him. It's not about me. That obviously shows when I got saved because that's the kind of song I sing in the morning. It's all about you, Jesus. And that's how I'd love us to go forward as a church. So how do you appoint elders? Well, the honest truth is the Bible doesn't tell us. And so I think there are many, many passages that we could look around and I'd probably raise questions. Feel free to text me, call me, meet up with me. I'm happy to talk this one through. But I'd just like to say a few pointers the way I'm thinking. I think the first thing is we pray. We pray. It's God's church and we trust him. We pray. I think the second thing is we do things slowly. There's no need to rush. Quick decisions are often bad decisions. We have a, a team that uh, help run the church at the moment. It's been fairly fluid, flexible team, but we're talking around as a team, just saying, actually, what's the way of doing this? We're reading, we're studying. We're actually getting some outside help as a church. That's what I love. And saying, well, look, others help us, talk us through this. I hope to be chatting about this some more. We do a leaders training in September. If you've ever led a group, if you'd ever like to lead a group, come along to that meeting and you can find out more then. We'd love to bring their names to you as a church for you to pray through and hopefully encourage. And we'd love one Sunday morning to lay hands on people. I trust this would just be the start and that others will be added to the team as well. We're also looking and you, you know, suddenly think, oh, it's another sermon. I haven't got time for that. I've got to land. I see that quickly. We'd love to appoint deacons. I believe deacons are a biblical thing and I want this church to be biblical. I'd love us to develop membership And as I say, I'm very aware there'd be lots of questions about all of this. And I'd love to have it all done by Christmas. There you go. So let's get it out there. (laughs) Yesterday would have been even better, but I'll wait for Christmas. What do I say? I say the adventure continues. I honestly believe the book of Acts is an exciting thing about the church. And I believe that is true for us too. The adventure continues. 
Acts 28, we think Paul is planting another church. That's how I like to spin it anyway. He's got a home and he's got people coming and they're talking to him about Jesus Christ. The good news is he's made it to Rome. The bad news is we don't know what happens to him. There have been traditions about was he crucified, what happened, we don't know. What I love, though, is that the, the, the story is bigger than you and I. I love the fact that we get to play our part, but actually I honestly believe that God's story, God's church, God's adventure is way bigger than us. I love the fact already that there's a church we've been involved in, and I, I'm not trying to spin this out to make me look good. It's us, it's you, being out in Tanzania and cheering on a church plant there. I've had a Skype with a church in Amsterdam just saying, oh, what about this chatting there? We're chatting to a, a church plant in Istanbul. I've got a Skype lined up next week, I think, is with a church in Canada, a church plant. Why? Because we want to play our part in cheering on this great story. I just say, God, what a privilege. I honestly think this is the right step for us to be taking as we go forward. I hope that we come and we get a sense of joy and adventure. I hope we feel, hey, this is a new chapter for us as a church and that we're excited about it. I'm going to pray and then I'm going to hand back to these guys. Jesus, we thank you that you said you built your church. Father, we thank you you've always wanted a people that belong to you. I love it. You said that right to Abraham. I'm going to gather people from the nations. I'm going to dwell amongst them. I thank you that the prophets spoke about the church being the rock that fills the, the earth. It being in the mountain that the nations stream to. I thank you that we get to play our part. I thank you just for the little story that Redeemer's gone on in the last four and a half years. I thank you so much for everyone here that serves, that gives, that prays, that's involved. Father, we love it. We love the adventure. Lord, we do want to commit ourselves to you in chapter two. Lord, we want to feel like let's turn the page. What's next? God, we want to see this really established, solid. God, I, I, th- I keep thinking, God, when we, when we going to plant the next one? Where's it going to be? Lord, we thank you already for our involvement with groups around the nations. What about London, God? God, we, we so want to get caught up in you. Jesus, we know that you are our chief shepherd. We know that we come before you right now. We do want to surrender all to you. Say thank you so much for your gospel. Thank you you've caught us up on your plan. Thank you, Jesus, that you, you're in charge. We submit and we surrender to you. Amen.